Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. In this episode, we partner with the Exponential Conference and host a five-part webinar titled Mobilizing Missional Disciples. This episode is titled Recenter Justice, Central to the Mission of Jesus, Central to the Mission of the Church. Good morning, everyone. We're so glad to, that you're here with us. Um, welcome to this hub. Uh, we're uh, with Forge America, which is um, an organization that partners with the local church to mobilize the people of God in order to participate in the everyday mission of God. My name is Beth Wolf. Um, I am on the teaching team with Forge America, but I'm also a pastor right outside of DC um, who's trying to innovate and create new ways to mobilize the people of God to be on the missional movement. And I'm really glad that we have Ryan Harrison, who's the national director at Forge America with us today. He's up in New York, um, as well as Drew Jackson. We're so glad that we can all be here together and have this really great conversation about what is sort of the intersection between the mission of God and justice. So uh, Drew, I would, I'm just super glad that you're here with us. And I'd love for you to take a second as we begin to just um, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. I know you're up in New York also, um, but tell us a little bit about who you are for those of us who haven't, um, uh, that this is our first time meeting you here today. Yeah, so I'm so good to, to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my name is Drew Jackson and I pastor uh, Hope East Village. Um, Hope East Village, we planted uh, about just over three years ago. And so we're in like the East Village, Lower East Side area of Manhattan. Um, and so here with uh, my wife and our two twin daughters um, and uh, in addition to pastoring Hope East Village, I I um, serve as the president of, of a nonprofit organization called PAX, which is a, a peacemaking and justice organization that is focused on um, asking the question, how do we carry forward uh, the peace of Jesus into the 21st century? So it's really um, focusing on mobilizing and equipping um, the younger generation, Gen Z, with uh, the peace and justice of Jesus through beautiful, slow, Jesus-centered content and uh, curation. Mm. So, um, and also do some writing, I'm a poet. So uh, yeah, so th that's me. <laughs> I love it. Now, by doing some writing and being a poet, I think it's only appropriate to say he wouldn't do this because he's too humble. You just had a book come out. Um, Drew, would yeah. you mind taking a moment? Show us, pick it up. I'm sure it's somewhere within <laughs> your proximity. Uh, show us it. And then just tell us what it's about. It's God Speaks Through Rooms, published yeah. with InterVarsity Press. Tell us about it. What is the book about? Yeah, so this book is a, uh, it's really a poetic journey through the first eight chapters of Luke's gospel. Um, and it's just interacting with the stories and the themes of Luke. Um, the idea really kind of came from sitting in the Psalms. And um, there's a tradition within a Jewish Midrashic thought that the rabbis would and scholars would often talk about how um, the five books of the Psalter were in some sense in conversation with the five books of Torah. Right. And so um, and so each each book is sort of in conversation with this corresponding book not and so it's not like a direct commentary or anything like that but in conversation with the themes and so um i started to just kind of ask the question like what would it look like for poetry um to sort of rise out of a modern day interaction with the themes of the gospels and particularly the gospel of luke um and so it was it was sort of a exploration and imagination and curiosity and just mm. kind of going from there and seeing seeing what came out yeah I have a yeah. quick question because I'm always curious yeah. about this. When you like embarked on this journey to do this, was yeah. it like, I'm going to write a book and here's my concept and now let's write the poetry or was it, was it more so just something that came out of your own um, development as a person, your own creative imagination? Like, like how did that kind of happen? Yeah. Um, it was really um, right. So writing poetry in general started as like a spiritual practice for me reading and writing poetry. And so it really emerged out of that. I didn't set out to like do this project or write this book or um, put all of these poems together. It was like, I'm just sort of exploring this for myself. And then sort of along the way, 
something started to come together and I was like, Oh, this looks like something. So, yeah. Uh, that's incredible. Um, so I would encourage everyone go to Amazon, um, look for Drew Jackson. God speaks through wombs. Drew, when's the official release date? September 14th. All right. September 14th. So get it on your calendars, look at it, look for it. Um, I promise you will not be disappointed. So, and you got a second one coming out at some point. Um, it's kind of the last yeah. half of Luke. Is that right? It's the rest of the, the rest of Luke. I'm working, working on that manuscript now. So, um, we'll, we'll see when, we'll see when it gets done. All right. That's amazing, yeah. man. I'm so excited for you. That's what a cool adventure. Yeah. Um, it is great to have you here, Drew. I've personally enjoyed getting to know you over the last year or two, uh, here in New York city. Um, I was visiting with Drew just the other day and had the chance just to tell him what a gift that I feel like he's been to me. Um, his heart for justice, but also at the same time, his, um, his passion for the scripture. And it comes alive when he talks about the scripture and it, it was very, very encouraging for me. So I'm excited to have him here and to share with us. Uh, I would like to just take a second, um, for all of those, um, that are listening and just kind of frame up where we're at in our conversation. And then I'm going to ask Drew a question, but we kind of started this journey about three weeks ago. Um, or actually it's probably been about four or five weeks ago, actually, We've done three of these webinars um, already, and so this is um, kind of this one. Um, but what we began was just by asking and kind of reflecting on really all that's happened in this last year, and we started with this idea of repentance, that really repentance is the catalyst for individual formation and community transformation. And so that really began our conversation, and we began wrestling then with uh, what's what are the things, that the ideas, the the paradigms, the issues that out of repentance, we really just need to come and say, you know, I might have gotten this wrong, or maybe somewhere along the way, I've missed this. And, um, and so here we are today talking about this idea of recentering and really recentering on the heart and the mission of Jesus, which is in fact, um, one of, of justice. So before we kind of like dive into that, I would love to just ask you, Drew, I mean, a lot has happened in this last year. Um, we've kind of talked about this unraveling in many ways that has, um, that has happened, um, in our culture across the globe here in the West, in our country, um, whether it be through kind of COVID. And now I feel like, you know, it's kind of like the beginning of the summer. I thought we were having a breather and it's like, ha, ah, the lights at the end of the t- tunnel. And, and then like a month later, it's like, ah, oh, Delta variant. It's like, ah, oh, maybe we're not through this yet, but whether it be through that or, just this long overdue reckoning with really racial injustice. Um, you know, I feel like those things have gone hand in hand over the course of the last year, year and a half. And I feel like God has used the unraveling in many ways to uncover or expose, um, things within the context of the church. And, uh, I would love to just get your thoughts as you've kind of looked across um, the church, as you've kind of thought about the church in your context, as you've kind of just as an individual been engaged in all that's happened over the course of the last year, what do you feel like God is uncovering? What do you feel like is being exposed in light of the issues that we have stumbled in upon over the last year? Yeah, um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, been, right? So I've been um, back in few months ago is during during Lent. Um, we were we were doing a short a short series in the book of Joel and um, and really seeing uh, one of the questions that I was bringing to the text, right, was just with this present moment, what does what's happening in Joel? Like, how does that speak into this present moment? And one of the things that is interesting about Joel is that um, you don't like Joel is not, we don't know a whole lot about the prophet. Um, we know uh, most scholars believe that Joel likely wrote a little bit later sort of in the game and was familiar with a lot of the other prophetic, you know, writings and people, you know, other prophets because he quotes them, he references them a lot. And so Joel at the beginning doesn't list out like, okay, these are the sins of the people. These are the way, like he sort of assumes that the people know the ways that they've turned away from God. Um, that they're familiar with the charges that have been laid against them. And, um, you know, but 
what he talks about is how there's this um, this devastation that's come over the land, right? This swarm of locusts that has come to disrupt, like it's disrupted everything, life in Israel. Um, but in particular, he names the the how the the locusts have devoured the grain and the vines, so the that it has disrupted the grain offerings and the wine offerings that the people are able to bring into their life of worship. So this is really about like a disruption to their their life of worship that's happening. And, right. and, uh, and so with that, right. You, the, it's almost as if the prophet begins to ask all these questions that are sort of in the background, right. When have we seen a locust swarm before, right. Within the, the biblical text within Israel's history. Well, the first time was Egypt, right. And that was meant to sort of wake up, the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt to the ways that they were to their own injustice to say, let my people go. Right. God is encouraging them toward freedom, toward justice. Um, And uh, we see also in Deuteronomy, there's this um, one of the, one of sort of the results of disobedience of the law is the locust coming and Mm. devouring the fields. Right. And so you got to think that all of this is in Joel's, mind as he's like thinking and trying to process this present moment. And so as he's bringing all of this into uh, the moment and trying to make sense, there's this sort of understanding that like something is, something's happening here that goes beyond just, this is a natural disaster. Right. And the prophets didn't make, they didn't take every natural disaster and say, this is God doing something. Right. That's not what they did, but every disruption was it was an invitation to ask the deeper questions god what are you doing is there something you're trying to get our attention to um and and so um every time that you see that happening in the life of israel it's usually one of two things and they're usually connected right it's the idolatry of the people they've somehow turned to worship other gods and usually that idolatry results in um oppression of the poor, widows, orphans, foreigners in their midst, right? It's, it's usually tied up in those things. And the prophets, what you see throughout all the prophets is they're calling Israel back to this life of love of neighbor, loving God and loving neighbor, um, which justice is at the core of what it means to love your neighbor. Like you can't love your neighbor without doing justice, right? And so, um, and so as I, you know, as I was thinking about that, it's like, well, I wonder, I wonder how much of that is underneath the surface for us, right? That God is, is calling us, is inviting us during this time of disruption of our normal worship life to not just say, how can we get back to doing things as normal, but to actually pay attention to some of the ways that maybe we have fallen short, particularly in the areas of um, our love of neighbor, how we, because I think one of the things that this pandemic has done is it has unearthed a lot of the things that have lied just underneath the surface. A lot of the ways that the inequities and injustices that lie underneath the surface, right? I think we we've seen it in, um, you know, early on there was so much conversation in the pandemic about centering the care and the well-being of the most vulnerable in our midst. And that was yeah. that was a conversation, right? How we care for the elderly, right? Conversations around um, how, how much more exposed those who are incarcerated are to this pandemic and the care, the, the lack of care that they receive. Um, the, the, the ways that, that, that um, COVID kind of swept through poor communities of color and the devastation, especially early on. I mean, we experienced that here in New York City in ways that like, it was just heightened. Um, and, you know, you saw sort of the, the holes in our healthcare system. You saw yeah. even with, with our education system, how um, it was a lot easier for um, folks, folks and families who, who found themselves sort of like, who find themselves higher sort of on the social hierarchy of things, easier to make the adjustment and to allow their kids to sort of continue. But for for those who are lower on the socioeconomic bracket, it just, things weren't set up for them to thrive. And so I think all of these things just expose things that are already there. Like all of this stuff is just there. Um, But COVID, this pandemic has brought all of that to the surface. And I think the invitation is to say, how do we not turn away from those things 
and just kind of go back to say, you know what? All right, we're going to get back to business as usual. But what if God is inviting us to imagine and to envision something new, which is actually the invitation in the book of Joel, when God says, in the midst of this devastation, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And the the results of that is that I'm going to give the, the sons and daughters and the old and the young and the, you know, the free and the slave, like all of you are going to get dreams and visions of something new to imagine and envision something new in the midst of the devastation. And when all you can see around you is just like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't look like we can go forward. And so I think that um, I've been asking myself, you know, for, for the church in this moment, how is God inviting us to both wake up to what's the, what's happening around us, yeah. but in the midst of our, and, and as we wake up to weep and to lament, which is part of that, that call to reckon with what's going on, but to begin to imagine something new in the midst of what we're seeing. Um, I think that that's part of the spirit's work in our time. And um, that, that that's central to that reimagining of a new world is, is this call to do justice, the centering of love of neighbor, and particularly those who are most vulnerable among us, those who are on the bottom and on the edges of society, what the, what the Hebrew prophets and scholars would refer to as the Anoim, right? Those on the bottom and on the edges of society. Um, what does it look like to center their their well-being? Man, that is like COVID has been a nightmare for me personally, as well as our church community. Like it's just been really hard. But one of the things that we've been talking about is the way that this whole pandemic has sh- shown a light on the cracks and crevices that already existed, which is exactly what you're talking about. Like this marginalization and the anti-love of neighbor, particularly the elderly and those in our society who are marginalized, um, children, broken families, like uh, people low on the socioeconomic um, status, like all of that already existed. This was just this epic light. This was the locus that destroyed everything to point out like, hey, Some, there's a disruption and there's something that's not working and we need to revitalize that. We need to turn from it. We talked about repentance in one of our earlier webinars. Like how do we recognize that there's a turn that needs to be happened and then to be drawn out of it. And I love the way that you articulated that justice is the location that we now are being called to, that that's the new imagining, that's the new place. And so like in, in your work, in your life, what does that look like to turn to justice? Like, how is that actually being, um, being walked out for you and your community? And you had said this great phrase earlier. You said the beautiful, slow Jesus centered content that refines discipleship. Like what, how do, how do those two things emerge to offer a new way into justice and a new way into following Jesus in light of this disruption that's happened? Yeah, that that is that is a great question and one that we're <laughs> always asking ourselves, right? It's, it's yeah, and, and I would say that that's that's important, right? Because part of part of you know this invitation to follow Jesus is to ask better questions, right? I, I love that Jesus is uh, constantly um, he's constantly asking asking just intriguing questions of us, of disciples, of those who want to come and follow him. Um, because he's inviting us into something to, to not just say, okay, here's what you do, but like, here, come, come. I, I want to actually invite you to begin to think differently mm-hmm. about it and to see differently. Um, not just to give you a set of things and say, okay, go check these off. This is about the deep work of transformation. This is repentance, right? The change of mind. Right. And so, um, and so when I think about the, you know, for us in our community, um, what that looks like, what it's been looking like for us. Um, you know, during, I think during this pandemic, right, we just have been asking that question, like, okay, things are disrupted now. Like we're not, we're not meeting. What is it? What, what then does it mean for us to be church? Right. What is, what is the church then? Right. Cause I think we need to one, even revisit that question. Um, when, sort of all of the, the, the stuff that we have called church has been taken away, yeah. right? What does it mean to be the people of God, right? What does it mean? And, and 
um, as we've kind of stepped into that question more and more, I think that it really kind of just comes back down to that very basic idea of like, hey, love love God and love your neighbor as yourself and figure it, figure out like, and I'm not going to give you, and I, I love that Jesus does this. Jesus doesn't give us like, and this is what it looks like. It's mm-hmm. because it's, it's about an invitation to journey with Jesus in real time, right? My neighbors right now in this situation that we're in right now, I know, I know what's like, so, you know, what we've done, one of the things that we've done is we have connected with organizations in our neighborhood who are, who have been on the ground for years, just doing beautiful kingdom work in the neighborhood. Um, And our connection has been primarily first and foremost, we want to learn like what you all have been seeing, you know, how do we, how do we listen to the pain, the, the, the cries, the the concerns of our neighbors um, and not just go about like, okay, we're going to do our thing on Sunday. And this is what it means for us to be the church in this neighborhood. It's like, actually, why don't we lean in to, to, to hear what's actually going on with our neighbors to, to figure out then what it means to be led by the spirit to take, even if it's an imperfect step of love toward our neighbor. Right. That that's kind of the space that we've been in. Um, and so we had a couple webinars during this time where we've invited in people, um, from our neighborhood um, who have been leaders in our, in our neighborhood um, around issues of like uh, housing justice. It's one of the huge realities, right, in, in our city where um, people just live on the edge of eviction all the time. And, and there's not enough affordable housing. Um, the, the crisis around homelessness is just huge. And so this organization um, called Goal right in our neighborhood they've been doing work for the past 40 50 years around um uh, trying to keep people in their homes right before uh, letting them know um sort of what their what their rights are when it comes to dealing with landlords uh, how to navigate all of these things because people are taken advantage of because it's in the you know the interest of landlords oftentimes to um kind of convert their units into spaces that can generate more more money hike up rent and so that disproportionately affects the poor right and so they're trying to do work to say no you all have rights this can't happen to you what do you need to know in order for you not to you know for this not to happen and so they've been doing beautiful work and so we've been trying to learn from them and so we had one of their like their executive director come and just speak to our congregation about the fight for housing in the neighborhood um, over the years what they're seeing currently, how COVID has impacted the work that they're doing, um, how they've responded, and just asking the question, what does it look like for us to join in with what God is already doing in our neighborhood and not just trying to reinvent the wheel, you know, um, because the truth of the matter is God is already about this work. God's already doing it. Um, It's happening on the ground. How do we lean in and pay attention and follow the lead of those who are already doing it, even if it's not the church, right? How do, how do we, how do we, you know, join in with that and and participate? So I think that's where, where we've been at is more of seeking to figure out how we participate in what's already happening. That's just one area, one, you know, um, that we've been kind of leaning in. There've been others, but uh, I think that's been sort of the overarching thing for us in the season has been, the invitation to lean in, to listen, and to be willing to follow the lead of um, those who are already doing the work. Um, and we're sort of, we're, we're catching up. We're figuring out what it looks like for us to be a part of this. That's, I, I love that because the, the question that I asked could have so easily gone to programs and, mm-hmm. and professional development and all of those sorts of things that so many churches are looking to in order to figure out how to do mission, how to do justice. And I love that you really turned that and said, no, 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 no. It's about this journey. It's about following Jesus, but also it's about looking around where are the biggest cracks and crevices that have been exposed during this time. And then figuring out how do we partner with the people who are, are, who have already been working on them and move forward from that place. And I think that that's just, that's a slower work. And that is a work that we are less in control of. And yet, that's the beauty of, I think, the journey that Jesus invites us into. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, I think with that too, part of, part of the journey is then, and, and I tell, I tell our congregation this all the time um, is that it's important for us to, to recognize and know our own social location within this whole moment that we're in. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it will be very easy for us to come in and say, okay, these are the problems. Let's step in. Let's try and let's try and fix them, right? But I think part of what part of the journey with Jesus is as Jesus invites us to go with Him. Disciple, we know this discipleship is happening on the way, right? And so, you know, every time we see Jesus in the scriptures take His disciples somewhere, as much as it is for, hey, Jesus is going to bring healing to this place, this person. It's also for the disciples who are watching this. And, and you gotta, you, you have to know that everything that's happening, Jesus is debriefing everything with them, right? They're unpacking, they're, there's things that are sort of happening in them as they're, you know, no, we have to go through Samaria, right? They're going through Samaria. And, you know, as much as it's for this woman at the well, that she needs to have this interaction with Jesus, it's for the disciples these disciples who need to be confronted about their, their own issues with Samaritans, who, who need yeah. to be confronted about their own issues with women, right? Who need to be, all of this stuff is being brought to the surface for them. And then Jesus asked them the question, right? And I love this about John 4. Why, why is it, basically, why is it that when you went into the town, you couldn't see God's activity, that God was ready to, to bring forth a movement, a harvest, right? You couldn't see it, but she went in and the whole town comes out and responds. What's the difference? And it's all about, it, it, there's, there's what's blocking you from actually engaging in the, 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 the activity of God in the moment that God is wanting to invite us into. That's part of the work of discipleship that Jesus wants to do in us of actually breaking those things down. But sometimes it requires us being brought into the places that we would otherwise not have gone in order to be confronted with the things that keep us, that are barriers, that are barriers to love. Right. Um, yeah. Man, Drew, like, and I know one of the things that we oftentimes will say is that, you know, mission and justice is for the sake of discipleship and discipleship is for the sake of mission and justice. It's almost like we can't be discipled unless we're engaging in these issues. And so, yeah. Um, which uh, I believe to my core. Um, but on the same time, it, it, it brings up like a really like sad, unfortunate, I think in my mind, a, a reality that, um, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, kind of just all of these places of inequity that COVID exposed from, I mean, children without internet access to incarcerated individuals, to the elderly, to marginalized communities, um, to minority community, you know, just especially that got, that did not get the healthcare or, you know, that, that middle-class white individuals oftentimes got, uh, I mean, it is very clear, <laughs> like there is some, there is lack of equity in, in our, in our culture and across in, in the systems. Um, to me, it just breaks my heart in a lot of ways. And I'm just as guilty as this, is that these have not been issues mm -hmm. that we've oftentimes heard about, especially within the context of the church at large, um, pre COVID. And even now there's a lot of folks saying, let's just get back to normal. Let's just get back to normal. And in other words, let's just get back to where we don't have to think about these things. And that may be an overstatement. And I don't want to say that's everybody or anybody, but it's, I don't know, in some ways it's disheartening in the sense of like, and where did we miss Jesus? I even know in the missional conversation, one, you know, Forge America would be a big proponent of the missional conversation, but it oftentimes it seems like it's minimized to neighborhood and being in good community. And we don't talk about the issues of justice when that is clearly at the center in the heart of scripture, of Jesus, of God. I'm just, I don't know. I, I feel like we've, we've missed it. And I, I'm curious like, what would you say? Where have we, where, where have we missed Jesus, especially within this context of justice, beyond just this little side program that the prophetic, heartfelt kind of people in our church participate in, and it's not right, something yeah. that we participate as as the driving force of the church is to combat injustice. You know, well, I think that's it. Part of it is that, you know, um, I mean. 
I feel like there's a long history to the <laughs> to how we got to this point, how we you know persisted yeah. this. Um, but I mean, to to what you're saying, right? I think it's important even just to name, right, uh, and not to assume, right? To name that this is what we're talking about is so central to the heart and to the life of Jesus. Jesus names that throughout his ministry in different ways. He does it. He does it at the beginning of his ministry. You know, Jesus, when he stands up in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth and he quotes Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter four. Right. And he's and he names what his vocation is. Right. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the captives, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right. Jubilee, God's ultimate jubilee. Like Jesus said, like, that's why I'm here. Like, and, and you know, I think we have so, so many of us have taken that and over spiritualized it so that it's not actually about the poor and the oppressed and the margin, like, it, like, well, well, like, no, like Jesus, Jesus actually meant what he said. Right. And that's why when he's talking to the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders, the church people, right. Who, who got, who, who were very involved in religious life. He said, when he says to them, he says like, woe to you, right. You've, you've done all of your religious rituals. You've tied the mint, the dill, and the cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and the love of God. These you should have done without neglecting the others. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's central. That's first. That is of first importance. Right. And to me, like we've, we've missed that. And we've gotten off into these arguments about like, okay, well then what is justice and what is this? And what is that? It's like the, the arguments around it have almost distracted us from the work, from the work of actually caring for people. Like we, we know yeah. what it looks like to love our neighbor. We know what that means. Yeah. Like we, we can, we can sort of dance around it, but I think like at the core of it, we know that like, and, and, but part of it is that we have been, you know, so our view of what the salvation of God is, has become so sort of narrow and yeah. sort of truncated to my own individual thing with Jesus and Jesus is going to save my soul and we're good. Right. When I think the vision that the scriptures have of the salvation of God is so much bigger and so much more robust than yeah. that. Right. Mm. Like when, when the, you got to understand that when the, the, the Hebrew prophets and the writers of the Hebrew Bible, when they talked about God's salvation, it was first and foremost formed in God's activity to liberate the people from Egypt, from slavery. And it grew sort of from there to understand, to be understood as this cosmic thing that God was doing. But it's not, it wasn't separate from that, that act of God moving on behalf of a poor and oppressed people to bring to bring about justice and freedom and liberation like that, that was, that was central to who, to, to God's activity in the world. Like God was not known and understood apart from that work in the world. And I think mm. we've gotten so far away from that. We've privatized Jesus to our own, you know, personal, whatever, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and so because salvation is individual and following Jesus can be about my, indi my individual life and the betterment of my own spirituality and what all of that, like it, it has so moved us away. Like, I think, you know, when I, when I think of salvation, right, I love, I absolutely love the, the, what Fannie Lou Hamer said, one of the mothers of the civil rights movement. I mean, and she was a theologian, right? She mm -hmm. was, uh, she she said, um, no one, no one is free until all of us are free. I'm not, not free until we're all free. Okay? So this idea of being so bound up with one another that our salvation, our freedom, our liberation is bound to each other, that it's not just about me getting free and going doing my own thing. It's about what does it mean for me to be so concerned with the chains that are wrapped around my brothers and sisters 
right? That are keeping, that are keeping people in bondage and not just spiritually, but physically, but like their whole person to see people liberated and set free to be the fullness of the image bearers of God that we've been created to be. To me, like anything that is keeping us, keeping people from being and living out the fullness of the image of God that we are, that's, that's, what, that's what freedom and salvation and liberation means. We're, we're being freed to yeah. be fullness of who God has created us to be and to reflect that with fullness into the world. That is what the prophets had envisioned when they talked about the glory of the Lord covering, flooding the earth as the waters cover the sea, right? One of my favorite quotes of all time is from St. Irenaeus who said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and to, see, to see that, like justice is such a part of that because, because injustice and oppression keep us keep people, keep our neighbors from being the fully alive human beings that God has created us to be. And we have to, we have to own, not that just like, okay, that just happened. But like part of owning it is to say, how are we complicit in all of this? Maybe I didn't directly do it. Maybe I did. Maybe I was part of that, but maybe, but, but part of being human is to to understand that, man, we all have a share in what's happening. And that also means that we're invited then into the beautiful work of restoration with God. Right. Yeah. Mm. That's huge. I mean, I think that the naming it to say there is, I mean, there is inequality, there is injustice that's happening and let's like, just call it like it is. And you're right. We've all played a part um, in it. I I remember, you know, well, I think for me, I mean, I, I mean, even just a, a personal confession that this idea and these thoughts around justice did not, in fact, um, maybe hit me to the same degree until my family moved from the suburbs of Texas to New York City. Mm. Um, one of, um, you know, one of our Ford founders, Deb Hirsch, she always says, um, uh, where you stand determines what you see. And, you know, it's when you get in a place to where you're actually with people um, and you see their hurts and you see their struggles and you see the injustice and you see the inequity, does it really become kind of a concern to a concern to you? And uh, I don't know if this, if I'll do it justice or not, but to tie it together to something that I heard um, uh, Robert Guerrero say recently, Robert Guerrero here is in New York. He's a, a leader here in the city. And um, he kind of just brought out this realization that we oftentimes forget where Jesus was crucified. He was crucified on the margins outside of the gates. And it's yeah. almost like to come find Jesus, to find salvation. We all, we like our own personal salvation. We, we have to go to the marginalized. We have to go and engage where there is injustice. But anyways, I, I'm just, uh, yeah. I think that's crucial. I mean, I think that's crucial. Um, you know, you didn't you didn't go you didn't go to the temple in Jerusalem if you wanted to become a follower of Jesus. That's not where you found him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You didn't go to the center of religious and political power to find Jesus. That's not where he was at. Right. Where was he yeah. at? Who was he with? Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't just that. And here's the thing that 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 should cause all of us a disrupt that should disrupt all of us is that it wasn't that Jesus was just okay, he went from his comfortable place to them. So yes, on a cosmic, on a cosmic scale, Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to us. But Jesus, those were his people, right? Like mm-hmm. Jesus was born in Nazareth. Like Jesus came from a place of which it was said, nothing good can come out of this place, right? Jesus was, he was with, he was among, immersed in, uh, 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 people that were on the margins that were poor, like Jesus knew poverty. Like those were his people, yeah. friends, his neighbors, his family. Like, and so it wasn't like Jesus was coming to do some, some work for them from this sort of rich suburb. Like, no, like yeah. Jesus, Jesus was bringing a, a work, a salvation for the world from amongst the poor. Mm-hmm. From from they like it was like Jesus and those who would follow him. They were the leaders. They were saying, no, no, you got to come follow this way of those who have known who've been on the underside of history in that sense. Right. Who have known 
And, and so I, I and, and so when G, when Jesus would call folks who were sort of more closer to the center of things, of power, of privilege, of status, it was a call downward for them. They had mm-hmm. to get down, right? We don't talk enough about Mary's Magnificat. We don't talk enough about it. But locked right in in what she's saying is so much theological weight and gospel truth about what what God has come to do in the world through the Messiah. When she says that, and and, and right, her son James right reiterates this in his letter. But he she says that when God when God moves and acts in the world uh, to bring about salvation, that the 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 poor the lowly will be raised up and the rich the the mighty will be brought low right she says the the hungry will be filled with good things and the rich will be sent away empty right yeah that's good news even though even though we don't receive it as such it's actually because what she's talking about is this grand work of restoration that god is doing of of looking at the way that things are, looking at the great, you know, injustices and, and gaps between the rich and poor and the, the, the full and the hungry and the, the status quo of things and saying it should not be this way. Mm. In order, when God breaks in, those who have been pressed down because of the weight of this world, because of the, the way that things are, are going to be lifted up. Right. They're going to be lifted up. And those who are high and mighty, who are in a, in, in a very real sense, not living out the fullness of the image of God that they are because they're they're in a space that is, you know, not caring for their neighbor, not not concerned with the well-being of those who are being pressed down. They need to be brought low. And that's yeah. salvation for them. That is good mm. news. Right. That. that yeah. That, gospel that salvation is about for for those in high and mighty positions being brought down and and I, and I think like we don't see that like Jesus carries that that whole idea through his life and ministry right and and I'm sure I, I love to just kind of imagine right I'm sure he heard his mom talking about this in the house growing up right yeah this is and 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 James the same thing when he talks about it in, in James chapter one right it's the same idea, but like, so that should have implications then for us about what, what we think following Jesus is, especially for those of us who do kind of, you know, occupy a space of uh, power and privilege and status and wealth in the world. Okay. What does, what does it then mean for us to follow in the, in the Jesus way? And why then does Jesus say it is extremely hard for those in that position to inherit the kingdom, right? Because it, look, because it looks like loss and giving up for us in ways that we don't want to own. Yeah, but if I hear what you're saying, and I completely agree with you, it's, you know, it's, it's the giving up of rights and power and privilege is where freedom and salvation is found, uh, yeah. rather than holding on to it. And I'm not making any specific examples of it, but yeah. uh, but it's almost like instead of just, because I feel like we've been consumed with power in the church in the West and privilege. We don't know the water we yeah. we, It's like, you know, we fight for prayer in schools and this and that. And it's like, who, who cares? To be honest, like, yeah. it's like, let's give up our rights. Let's give up our power. Let's give up our privilege. And, and that's where salvation and freedom is found. And, and even when we say give up, I think even just to clarify what that means, I think it's not yeah. to say that it's, it's cause I can't get rid of it. Like I had right. it. It is when we talk about giving it up, I, I, I mean, giving it up in a way that I'm using it for my own benefit, right? That I'm using it to secure my place in society or to give myself uh, an upper, upper hand or all of those things, or just to use it for me and my people. It's to say, I have this stuff that I didn't necessarily ask for, maybe, right? What do how how can this be used in service of others, particularly those who have been pushed to the margins of our society, the 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 widows and the orphans and the right like and and 
who are the widows and the orphans of our day? We, I think we have to do the work of naming that and understanding. But I think whenever scripture talks about that, it's, it's naming who are the most vulnerable in your society. And what does it look like for you then to use what you have in your hand for the sake of their well-being? Because, and this is, this is important, because from the biblical understanding, from the biblical standpoint, when the poor do well, everybody does well. Right. Mm. That's why Jesus said, I came to preach good news to the poor, because when it's if it's good news for the poor, it's good news for all of us. Yeah. For everyone. Right. And that's the work of justice. That's that's, that's it. That's it right there. And so. Um, so how can I take what I have and leverage it for that sake, for their sake and not just for my own benefit and my own rights, my own whatever. Right. Yeah. I love that distinction because I think sometimes when you start talking about handing over power, particularly in our politically charged climate, it feels like, wait, are we just supposed to be like, here, shackle me? Like, are we supposed to just say, I don't need that. I don't want that. And that feels ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But in the context which you've described it, it's not like, hey, I'm just going to give it up so that I can just give it up just so I don't have it anymore. It's how do I leverage what is mine for someone else? And I think that that's a beautiful articulation. That's like a third way that a lot of people um, maybe aren't highlighting quite as clearly. And I really appreciated the way that you sort of articulated that. that. That was just super good. It's to me, it's what Paul, when Paul in Philippians chapter three names all of the things that gave him an upper hand in society, whether that be his, his tribe, right? His ethnic origin in that sense, his male privilege, his male, his maleness, um, all of the, his, his education, like he names these things specifically. And he says, all of those things that were gained to me, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Right. What what he means by that is and we know this from from the life of Paul is that he doesn't take those things and just say, oh, they mean I don't use them anymore. He uses those things for the sake of the gospel. Right. He leverages those things. And so not for his own sake anymore, for the sake of others. Right. And so I think that is the, the distinction. Yeah, that's how he gets into the temple. <laughs> that's how he is able to speak to all of the different categories that he's able to speak to. That's how he's able to move throughout the Roman Empire. That's how he's. And so what does it look like really for us as leaders to name and recognize the pa- places of power and position that we have in order to really leverage them for others? And so I guess that that's kind of one of the things that I'm wrestling through my head is as a leader and in my church and in my community and in my neighborhood and in the school system that my kids go to, what does it look like for me to recenter myself, to recenter myself and reorient all of that power and the privilege in order to move it to places of justice? Like how do I make justice central to the mission of the church? Right. And so I, I, I just, what do you think is necessary in that process? Mm. Um, I think part of it is that we, we have to, we have to actually do the honest work of sort of taking stock of our own lives and our own communities of what is, what do we hold in our hands in, in terms of um, what is, the, the privilege, the power, the stat, like where, where do, what do we hold? Right. And to be honest about that, right. To, to not, cause I think part of, part of the, the, where, where we run into walls here is that, you know, people will say, well, I just, I, I have that because I earned it. Right. I have that because, and I, and I think it's like one, what I, I this is just me. You can, I, I don't I don't think that any of us can say that we have what we have purely because we worked hard and no one opened doors for us. I just I just don't think that's the way the world works. Yeah. But what you know, whether or not you feel like you earned it or not, like the gospel calls us to a different way of, of sort of relating to the things that we have and hold. Right there, it's, it's a recognition that anything I have in my hand, right, 
it comes from from God. Any, any good thing comes from God. Any good and perfect gift comes from God. Now, I will say this, and I think this is an important thing to say, and I don't want to get us off on too far of a tangent, but I, I think it's just an important thing to say, is that there is there is part of this recognition that says, and this is where I think it has to lead us to lament, right? Mm-hmm. That some of the things that we had have come at the expense of others, right? Yeah. Historically speaking, right? Has, has, has come at the expense of others. And I think those are not things to necessarily rejoice over. I think those are things to weep over and to say, wow, yeah. like this, this, this has come when I look at sort of, when I look at our world, when I look at our society, um, when I look at my own history or my family history, like I have to own this. I have to own this and I have to be real about it. But even still, once we do that, there's still then the question of, okay, what then, what then do I do with this, right? What then do I do with this? Um, so I think once we're, we do the work of actually being honest and taking stock and, and, and understanding, like, we got to do some work to, to think deeply about how our world and our society works and not just assuming that, like, things are only up and up. Like, <laughs> I think that's part of it, too, is just, it's just this assumption that like, oh, everything's just good. Like everything is fine. Or it's like, no, like there is, when we talk about the pervasiveness of sin in the world, we have to assume that it's affected everything, even the ways that our systems and structures are set up and that they function, assuming that there's inequity within them, assuming that they are set up to benefit some and not others. Like it, I don't get, I don't understand why we stop short of that when we talk about sin. Right. When we don't yeah, want to yeah. go that far. So I think we have to understand that. And then once we, as we're as we sort of sit with those things and wrestle with those things. Taking something, even something like, OK. I know that because I'm going to I'm speaking of myself here. Right. I know that because there are things that. There are things that put me at a disadvantage when I walk in a room, but there are also things that put me at an advantage. When I when I walk in a room and, you know, I look at my my level of education. Right. Um, I know that even simply simply the fact of where I went to school will will sort of if people know that about me, they will view me differently than if they didn't know that about me. I know that. Um, it, and, and so it gives my voice a different weight in particular rooms. Right because I'm a man or because I'm a pastor or because I'm a this, like, these are all things that, that give my voice a particular weight in certain rooms. What does it look like for me then to be conscious of that and to not just use that for my benefit, but to use it for, for, for those who in that room don't have the same voice as I do, who would not be heard in the same way. Right. Um, so that means, right. That I, that I, that I have to use my voice to then advocate for people who, you know, in a particular space, um, I think about as a as a man, what does it look like then for me to use my voice to empower and uplift women in our world? I have yeah. to think about that. To me, that is a gospel issue. That's not that that is that is central to my following of Jesus in this body that I'm in. Right. It, it, this body that I'm in matters. I think that's part of what we're talking about. It's like this flesh that we're in matters. And so it's not apologizing for being a man. It's saying, okay, I know how our world is set up and I know what that affords me. How can I use that for the sake of those who that doesn't benefit in the same way? Right. And so I think that it's just constantly kind of taking stock of those things that 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 is part of the work of loving our neighbor is knowing who we are in relation to our neighbors and saying, what does it look like for me then to to use what I have for their good? and not just for my own benefit. Yeah, man, um, Drew, it's so helpful. I mean, I, I think you know, it's funny. We have a, I had a question come in and it's like, why is it so hard to get Christians to help the poor? Um, and and <laughs> I mean, and I think you've, I mean, I think we've touched on a handful of these things that somewhere along the way, yeah. we have a distorted view of Jesus. We have a distorted view of his gospel. We have a distorted view of the mission of God in this world um, to some degree or another at times. It's like, 
we've privatized it. We see Jesus as a place to, to give me power and freedom rather than call yeah. it the invitation to, to, to lay it aside for the sake of others. I mean, I, I don't know, in some ways, I, I think some of this is you, what you've hit on some is some of this that we need to go back and rethink. Well, and I would just add to what you just said um, to what we've been talking about. Like, I do think it's important to name that the Jesus movement started as a movement of the poor. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason for that. Right. Yeah. There's a reason that um, the poor and women in the society were primarily coming to this movement because it was a space where they were affirmed, they were uplifted, they were given the dignity and the respect that was their God-given right, that was being trampled on by the empire, right? Um, And they were finding something different under the rule and reign of God. That's what life in the kingdom looks like, right? In in this space where Jesus is, is Lord and Caesar is not. Along the way, and, you know, most people would pin, pin this on um, sort of around the time of Constantine. Right. But when when Christianity became the religion of the empire, things mm-hmm. changed and it, it became about um, maintaining power rather than rather than the seeking the good of those who, you know, are at the bottom and on the edges of society. It, it, there was a switch that happened. And to track through history, how that has progressed. Yeah. We don't understand how deeply embedded that is, even into our own understanding of the way of Jesus, right? It's been so tied to empire. It's been so tied to, you know, nationalism and the flag and this, that, and the other that like, we can't even untangle those things. And and this is what we got to understand. It is never in the best interest of the empire to to let a movement build that is giving honor and dignity and affirmation to the poor. Why? Why is that? Why is that? Is because is because empires always want to keep down the possibility of revolution. Always. Mm -hmm. They do. They do not want those who are on the bottom, who are experiencing their boot to feel like they are affirmed in their personhood to be lifted up, to be that, that was part of what was so threatening about the Jesus movement is that it was, it was giving this honor and dignity and affirmation to people that society said had none. Right. Yeah. And so anything that you can do to kind of keep that down, like the empire is going to do that. And so part of that is if you can, if you can make, Christianity something that is not central to that is not that central to it is not the the caring for and lifting up and empowering the poor and oppressed if it's not about that at all and it's just about something else then we can neutralize this thing like I, I just want you to understand how this thing has tracked throughout history but that there has always been a remnant that is saying no it is not about that it has never been about that it has always been has always been a different way. And I think within American history, one of the places that we see that has been uh, the has been the, the faith of enslaved folks who yeah. were able to resist the Christianity that was given to them, that was OK with their bondage and saying, no, that's not the Jesus I know. That's not yeah. the God that I see who, liber- who who is known for liberating the oppressed. And so I will follow that Jesus into freedom. I will follow that Jesus into justice and not the Jesus who's okay with these chains that are on me. See, see, and that, that right there is what was threatening to those in power at the time. That's why they did things like created a slave Bible where they took out large portions of scripture, particularly the prophets, particularly large portions of Exodus, like you understand what was going on. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think we need to think. So when we ask questions of like, why is it so hard for, you know, Christians to help the poor? It's because we have been we have been taught otherwise. We have been discipled yeah. into a different way uh, that is not the way of Jesus that really centers the well-being of those on the margins. It's something uh, totally other. And, and it's even. Yeah. I mean, because you see that in the nationalism that is so immersed in our evangelical faith here in the west and it's incredibly grotesque in the sense of like if it's about nationalism then we can say "Ah, all this other stuff really doesn't matter as long as we're still being prosperous we're still being 
a superpower. We're still being, you know, whatever, you know, X, Y, and Z, but golly. Um, Drew, you've man. given me so much hope. Like, I just feel like, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to repent of the, even in in my own life, these places that I have conformed to the stuff and I have hope to imagine and move forward with, with the truth of the gospel and the hope that God offers and the freedom and salvation in a whole new sort of just revitalized way. And so I just thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been great. Thank you, Drew. I feel like today after my time with you, I see a clearer picture of the Jesus of the God. Gospels yes. than I did before. And so you're an incredibly Jesus-y person and his heart comes through uh, you. I hope so, so. I hope so it is, man. It is. So big thanks today. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.